Welcome back to Mark's Madness. All right. We are back. We are doing it again. Doing it again. Welcome back to Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name's David. And this week we will be continuing our reading of Blood in My Eye uh, by George Jackson. But before we do that, we are going to take a, uh, a brief detour into current events time because there are yeah. a couple big current events going on right now. Yes, yeah. Um, the current events have been, you know, eventful. Um, the the biggest one I can think right now, um, outside of course, you know, the the war in Ukraine, and everybody knows that that's uh, going on in the 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 you know um, uh, war in Yemen. Although I have heard that Saudi Arabia is backing down on There's Yemen. There's a truce going on right now that's allowing yes. like supplies and stuff like that in, which is crazy. yes. So that is, I mean incredible victory from from years of of fighting for their survivals by the Yemenis um so i mean yes that's 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 tremendous um but other than you know that and 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 the usual is um the the biggest thing is amazon labor union votes Woo! right <laughs> yes yes um so a few days ago uh, there was a vote. I you remember the first vote was kind of challenged uh, through the National mm-hmm. Labor Relations Board. And this is something like, I mean, this has been a thing since for, was it over a year ago where Chris Smalls was singled out and mm-hmm. fired for yep. for organizing the union? And of course, he stuck with it and fought the entire way. Um, the whole organization st- is stuck through it and fought the entire way. And so they finally uh, did a big counting of the votes. And this was in, was this in Staten Island or Staten what? Island? Yeah. Staten Island. Yeah. So the Staten Island Amazon, uh, distribution center voted. It was something like 60% to 40%, um, to go ahead and form, uh, Amazon labor union. So huge, tremendous victory. It was a grassroots organized, um, effort and, and it came through. Um, so fantastic, fantastic stuff. And hopefully it will spark. It does seem to be going on at the same time as, as Starbucks are, are unionizing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, hopefully this is a whole movement, right? Because what does America need now? Right. We need movement yep. in, in labor. We need people to organize unions. We need people to organize parties. We need this kind of organization. This is working class victory. And that's fantastic. Yeah, it's uh I think somewhere somewhere I'd heard that yeah, Starbucks like main ro- roastery was mm-hmm. was approving unionization today, which is another huge step. And again, just yeah. the I mean, the the sheer the people I've I've seen and and semi respect on Twitter have been saying, you know, that are that are more tied into labor politics than I am uh are are saying this is like the biggest labor victory in like a generation. Like it's it's monumental how big of an upset this was. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, well look at who they went up against, right? You know, they're they're going to they got out finance was it 23 to 1? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean they're they this is a huge deal. It's it, in Again, too, it's, it's the, um, the changing of the landscape, right? It's an understanding that as this turns into more of like an online market and, and stuff like that, you know, there's still workers behind this who could still organize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And taking, um, you know, a lot of people pointing out literature and theory mm-hmm. that they read that was helping them organize this yeah. kind of stuff and just the, you know, the, the really, really militantly organized, just how well they organized it um, and and brought in all, I mean, I'm seeing quotes all over the place, you know, we brought in everybody, you know, bringing all, 
all different people, the bringing the communists, all that kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. like this is how this is how you build a a totally organic and and powerful sort of worker movement. Yeah, if you're gonna have a grassroots movement, it's gonna be a large coalition movement, and it's going to take a lot of hard work and a lot of coordinate nation and a lot of different perspectives and different people and that's exactly what this was and that takes good leadership too so again you know touching back on it um this is obviously far more than than one person but the the effort that chris smalls put in hell yeah throughout this to stay fighting that's just incredible um, absolutely so yeah i mean huge historic victory for labor um Outside of that, <laughs> in more uh, global events, in more global events, uh, the U.S. is back on its bullshit, and um, so back there was, at their shit again. Yes, uh, and so there is what uh, the Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan is is. Uh, basically very convinced is U.S. backed efforts, uh, to cue him out in Pakistan. And that, uh, yeah, I mean, like you read the tea leaves that it makes a lot of sense. It's, yeah. it's suddenly right as the union inter- or, uh, the U.S. interests are, are getting, you know, deep into what Pakistan is doing. It's right as, as Pakistan is not only continuing to grow close to China, who they've been close with for decades, right? But they're growing closer to Russia. Um, the ruble has been recovering because Russia is able to, Tread on the ruble for for oil and natural gas. Um, the U.S. was not able to fully stop that, even if they're they're able to get Europe to to throw some wrenches in there. Yep. And uh, and so like India, Pakistan, China, uh, even Saudi Arabia um, are growing closer to Russia in those senses, right? And so this was, you know, and Pakistan's prime minister has always been he's been outspokenly. Pro China has been outspokenly anti US. He's oh, yeah. been outspokenly pro Palestine, which the US does not like. No. Right. For, for, you know, a while now. And so this has been heating up. And the, basically what happened is the Congress uh, did a vote of no confidence to try to remove him. Right. And, and they had passed, they'd gotten their little majority in there. And basically the, the guess deputy prime minister was like, you can't do this. The Constitution in Pakistan says this can't be done. This is unconstitutional. <laughs> and like slap down on it. And so what uh, Imran Khan has done in response is he's asked the president because he can't ask for a, a, a revote of parliament. He's asked the president of Pakistan to call for a revote. Well, the United States media, that's not going to be like, oh, you know, to ensure this is a democratic process with this revealed, he's basically calling a vote. You know, if you support him and don't want him cooed, you'll vote in a candidate that doesn't want that. It's democratic, right? Otherwise, if you support these guys that are trying to coup him, then then you voted it in. Now it's making a democratic. So he's called for an early election, which is very confident in his belief that that he's backed by the people, right? Yeah. But that's not how Western media presents it. Western media presents it as he's dissolving Congress, right? As if he, as if he's the president and he's taking Congress away and getting rid of it, right? It's it's yeah. to make him like big, scary dictator looking. He's a prime minister. He comes out of Congress or yes. well, Parliament in this case, right? He's not dissolving it. He's asking for a revote. Everybody gets reelected, including himself. Like he's yep. asking for a Democrat. And you know what? The United States does this what every six years with the Senate. Mm-hmm. Something like so, yeah. I mean, are we dissolving the Senate every six well, years? Well, there's what other the hell countries. I language? believe. I, I think. I think England has this. I, again, I'm not. I, I'm yeah. very bad at British politics. I apologize, but um, the the concept that you can just call an election and say mm-hmm. we're doing elections now. Yeah. I think that happens there. I think Canada has that ability too. If I'm not most, mistaken. Yeah, most parliamentary. Um, 
uh, Congresses, I believe, do have that. Yeah. Uh, and that's not a crazy system. You know, I mean, we know from socialist countries, they could call recall elections the same way, right? Where someone could be like unelected and then yeah. reelected by a majority too. There's, there's a lot of these democratic functions, a lot of places that have any sort of, you know, whether it's bourgeois or worker democracy. Um, but certain presidential democracies, especially the United States, just don't. And because that's, that's different to us, um, we can make it big and scary. And like I said, even within ours, like the Senate just by cycle is reelected every six years. So that's not dissolving the Senate. That's just no. resetting it, right? This mm-hmm. is just revoting. It's, it's supposed to be a democratic process. And that's all it is. He just wanted the elections to come earlier, right? If they're going to try to oust him, then fine. Let's see if that's what the people want. But mm-hmm. instead, he's like dissolving. They're worried about a th- growing authoritarianism as he dissolves parliament. It's the most scaremongering shit I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. My God. Uh, well, moving moving even further to the east, uh, uh, your friend and mine, China, have been having some uh, some relations with with mm-hmm. some some the rest of the world that are that are pissing off the U.S. David, what? Yes. Tell me. Tell me more. Uh, well, they signed a defense agreement with the Solomon Islands and the U.S. and the other the, – the coalition of settler colonies, right? U.S., New Zealand, uh, Australia, and Canada is always with them, but I don't actually think I saw Canada reporting on the, the, the con- feigning concern here. But they're all worried that, that you know Solomon Islands prime minister signed a defense agreement with China. Well, they're a sovereign country. They can sign that with whoever they want. And it's, they decided China gave them the best deal. And then the U.S. was flipping out. Well, that's going to give China a military base. Well, first off, if that's how their defense agreement goes, okay. Secondly – the U.S. judging someone for having a military base on foreign soil <laughs> as they are building stuff up across the, you know, Pacific it's Ocean to, to, it's just to try to hem China in. It's like the U.S. Yeah. is like, well, you wouldn't sign a defense agreement unless you're going to put a military base there. That's all we ever do. <laughs> yeah, there's there's quite a bit of chauvinism there. Um, but then on top of that, from the reports I've seen. Solomon Islands and China, there was no plan for a Chinese military base, right? It's a defense agreement as a coalition, you know, something happens to you, I defend you. I need something for defense, you help me, right? It's, you know, it's, it's scratch your back, it's scratch my back, I scratch yours, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, China being more powerful is, is going to be more of the defender in that case. Yeah, for right. Sure. But, but nonetheless, it's, it's how these defense agreements works, right? And, and so, you know, that's all it is. This assumption that it's being a military base is being built is just made up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. made up. It's between those two countries anyway. And it's ridiculous to the U.S. of all people to be concerned with it. Um, yep. So, yeah, you know, you'll hear some scaremongering about that. Well, that all being said, uh, that will handle our current events for the week. So we will be jumping right into the work. Uh, We are starting on page 11 of Blood in My Eye with my brother Jonathan, a communist revolutionary to the core, writing me in June of 1969, theorized as follows. We are quite obviously faced with the need to organize some small defense to the more flagrant abuses of the system now. I mean this in a military sense. The period of disorganized activity, of riots and rallies, and purely political agitation education has come to a close. The violence of the opposition has brought it to an end. We cannot raise consciousness another millimeter without a new set of tactics. Long-range political ploys alone are not practical for us. To me, the concept seems to assume that someday in the distant future we'll produce a 700-pound flea to fight the paper tiger. That's not too likely to happen. 
While we await the precise moment when all of capitalism's victims will indignantly rise to destroy the system, we are being devoured in family lots at the whim of this thing. There will be no super slave. Some of us are going to have to take courage in hand and build a hard revolutionary cadre for selective retaliatory violence. We have numbers on our side if the whites who support revolutionary change can prevent this thing from degenerating into a race war. The picture of the U.S. as a paper tiger is quite accurate, but there is a great deal of work done to, on its, to be done on its destruction. And I'm of the opinion that if there is a big job of growing to do, the sooner begun, the sooner done. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, again, he's very, very clear on that, right? You can't sit around and just wait for the perfect moment. People no. are dying now. You have to do some kind of defense now, and you're not going to be ready this moment to topple the entire system. But the system is going to turn out weaker than you think once you go to fight it, even if it's not going to be easy. Even It is going to be a huge deal. And for now, you have to start fighting for your survival. That's very much his belief, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Which he put into action. Yeah, he put that very much into action. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both Huey and Jonathan are understandably calling for the programmed revolution to take into account the fact of racial genocide. Jonathan is calling from his grave, adding another voice to the many thunderous graveyard affirmations, which for us blacks speeds the revolution to this to its ultimate issue. In order to develop revolutionary consciousness, we must learn how revolutionary consciousness can be raised to the highest point by stimuli from the vanguard elements. We recognize and appreciate the decades of hard, sometimes dangerous work done in the name of the revolu- of revolution by the older socialist parties. Perhaps we wouldn't exist at all were it not for their efforts. It is our sincere wish to operate in complete harmony with these older groups. But we must create new impetus and greater intellectual and physical energy if the forces of reaction are not to win another extended reprieve. A joint effort will make the task of overwhelming our common enemy all the simpler. But if our present differences cannot be reconciled by an honest and fearless search for the correct way, then we will be forced to take the foundation of the correct ideals and theory into our own hands and build a positive and more practical superstructure applicable to the circumstances surrounding our lives. In his Guerrilla Warfare, Lenin wrote, New forms of struggle, unknown to the participants of the given time, inevitably arise as the given social situation changes. The coming crisis will introduce new forms of struggle that we are now unable to foresee. So that that paragraph there is like the foundational understanding of anyone who wants to build socialism going forward, right? You know, it's not to say that every party before you, every organization before you has to fully exist in the past or be perfect. That's ridiculous, right? Mm. You know, you want to join them. You want to join in their coalition. You want to join in their goal, right? But you have to be the leader. You have to bring fresh ideas. You have to bring fresh bodies. You have to bring something that they don't have because obviously they haven't fulfilled the revolution completely and incorporate it into that work tied to the same theory tied to the same ideology and you want to hopefully form a coalition with them because then the revolution will be more complete more supported and come more quickly but if you must you can't wait around on them to get on board all right and and to to run through the milieu you if you are creating a party in coalition or carrying on the torch from these older parties that doesn't mean you are creating a party that has to piggyback on them you if you're going to be the vanguard you should take your duties as the vanguard, right? And this is true of every revolution, 
You know, there's all kinds of revolutions where the party that turned out to be the Vanguard party was not the initial revolutionary party. Hell, he's citing Lenin here. How did the (laughs) Russian Revolution go, right? Even at the time of the October Revolution, uh, most of the peasants, uh, we talked about, you know, a huge turning point was peasants going on with with the Bolsheviks, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But those were the peasants that were more cognizant of of day-to-day stuff and that the Bolsheviks were like, hell yeah, seize that land, right? While yeah. while the left SRs were concerned trolling, you know, about, oh my God, you know, you you, you gotta do it the not this violent way. But most peasants weren't that plugged in. They were just they knew the left SRs and they knew the Bolsheviks was the only party that came along to the events, but they were with the left SRs. So, you know, at the time of the October Revolution Peasants were, were mostly with the left SRs. That didn't mean the Bolsheviks could wait around for the left SRs. The Bolsheviks or the left SRs were pissed about the, uh, the one treaty with Germany that the Bolsheviks basically had to take. Right. And that, yeah. Bresley talks. And, and that, uh, and that caused a huge amount of tension. Right. And all of that is broken away from what were the, 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 you know, social democratic party of, of Russia, which was the Bolsheviks and Mensheviks together they just they mm-hmm. split in casual name from from uh coalitions but they were technically the same party right so i mean that happens all the time and he's saying the same thing here and that's exactly the viewpoint you know th- that's the idea of the black panthers right it's not like oh communist party usa is not our friends right yeah. it's not like that shit you know it's like no these guys are but we have to do it in a black nationalist fashion we have to do it organized around the issues of today we have to do it in a way that's more inclusive of of the women of our group and gives more you know uh more even um uh gender equality right and and where the black panther party lacked there in spite of their efforts to make that better we have to build something new that's even better on those points right we have to carry that torch forward and exactly. any remnants of those old parties, um, whether the parties still exist, whether people from those parties are, are still alive and out there organizing, anything from those, we're in tandem with. We appreciate everything they've done. We won't damn them. They're on our side. They're part of the revolution. We're just taking it another step. We're incorporating new points of philosophy. We're incorporating new informa- information. We're um, you know tactically handling colloquial issues in a different way. We're just building something newer on top of it to work with those parties and fulfill the revolution. And if they don't, if they don't take up the reins with us, you've got to leave them behind. Just keep carrying forward. Exactly. 100% agree. Thank you. Uh, in other words, the old guard must not fail to understand that circumstances change in time and space, and that there can be nothing dogmatic about revolutionary theory. It is to be born out of each popular struggle. Each popular struggle must be analyzed historically to discover new ideas. In the words of John Gerasi, building from one to the other, equally, eventually the revolutionary cadre would become equipped with a theory rooted in experience, broadened by historical knowledge, tested by combat, and fortified by reflection. After 10 or 15 generations of laboring on a subsistence level, after 140 years of political agitation and education, we grow impatient. Not that we fail to understand the risks and the complexities of anti-establishment warfare. We simply want to live. We question a strategy that seems to have stopped short of providing a tactic for growth and for survival. Terror tactics like lynching will never be allowed to work on us. If terror is going to be the choice of weapons, there must be funerals on both sides. And let the whole enemy people, a whole enemy power complex be conscious of that. The superstructure of any edifice that is as extensive and as lofty as revolution must be re-examined with each successive layer for faults, for possible improvement of method. We have the foundation of our strategy, 
We have studied Marx and Lenin for a description of history and of the modern industrial state. We've organized our thoughts and trained our bodies for the ordeal of grave digging. Our vanguard elements understand the simple importance of winning consciousness. Of course, education and familiarization with the core issues on a broad basis precede hard revolutionary violence. If people are to understand and relate to revolutionary violence, they must first be educated into an acceptance of the fact that there is no alternative or that the alternative is less inviting than a fight. Yeah, and that's pretty simple, right? If people just see the violence, well, the ruling class is experts at condemning that, right? They're experts at making their violence invisible. You know, if you go see a tent encampment and someone wants to just destroy people's homes and and send them, you know, even more perilously out without their stuff, without a, a way to survive, that's somehow not violence, right? If a bunch of bullies that get to stick a little, you know, metal token on their chest get to run around and, and beat the crap out of people and throw people in cages for the rest of their lives and, and kill people on site as they see fit, and there's no accountability, right? And that's not violence. Um, but pushing back against that is, you know, pushing back against that means that you're some kind of victim that deserved to die. Even the people that, that see that's violence, um, you have to be unarmed. You have to be, you know, peaceful and worthy in people's eyes not to die, yeah. right? That's, that's too much. And so you've got to educate people with like, no, like, these are killers. They are killing us. These, these are systems of violence and the fight is for your survival. And if you don't educate people on that, first and foremost, you're not going to win support, but you no. do have to survive. You can't sit there going win support, win support, win support, because at some point, all of the experts on winning support, right? And, and all the little truths that are tinkered into that, like, you know, it's hard to win support through violence. Okay, they shutter out a lot of the realities that you do gain support, though, just from naturally having power, just from naturally being the norm. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and there's no sense in that. There's no sense of, of defending yourself. There's just a violence to condemn. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you have to work on winning that support, but you also have to survive. You also have to take power. Otherwise, all those tactics to win support don't mean anything. Exactly. David, Our you want to take over? Yeah, our whole our whole question is just what level of consciousness will support the violent revolutionary activity necessary to achieve our ends, and how will we know when this level is reached? And of course, that is a, a true question, right? If you start yeah. being violent before that's reached, you could lose support. If you wait too long, you could be dying when you have the support, and you need to worry about surviving, yep. right? Um, recall, our Mao teaches that when revolution fails, it isn't the fault of the people; it's the fault of the vanguard party. The people will never come to us and say let's fight there have never been any spontaneous revolutions i repeat there have never <laughs> been any spontaneous revolutions yes they were all staged manufactured by people who went to the head of the masses and directed them the liberalist slogan you can't get ahead of the people is meaningless from what other position can one lead from the rear rear guard leadership <laughs> a typical yankee innovation i think most of these irresponsible excuse slogans are based on dread a secret wish to avoid the dis, uh, discomfiture of people's war and all the successful class struggles and colonial wars of liberation the vanguard elements did get ahead of the people and pull there is no other way forward mass in forward mass movement 
a vanguard which fears that consciousness will outstrip spontaneity, which fears to put forth a bold plan that would compel general rec- recognition even among those who differ from us. Are they not confusing vanguard with rearguard? And again, we've seen examples of this recently, even in, you know, we, let's talk about some of the, the more peaceful revolution stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just talked about the fight for Amazon, you know, unionship, right? There wasn't waiting until all of the people at Amazon just wanted to form a union and just jumped up one day and did it, right? That was hard work. Yeah. That was hard fighting. That was hard teaching. Uh, you see the, the Black Lives Matter protest that spiked up in 2020 after George Floyd, right? And, and how quickly, as soon as you stop fighting, that it can be recouped by the other side, which is why you need to, to keep going forward so much as you can. Right. Again, it's not the fault of the people. It's the fault of the vanguard. And sometimes it's it's just the fault of timing. Right. Absolutely. Um, You can't can't wait around on the revolution. That doesn't mean every time you plan it well, it's just going to shoot off and and magically work. Um, And then in between, you have the Red Hill fight. Right. Which was very successful. It got the military base shut down. They weren't waiting around for, you know, the other citizens of Hawaii to collectively go, you know, the military maybe shouldn't be here. Right. Um, They were taking the fight to the people with power and it worked right Mm -hmm. you can't just wait around and wait for the stuff to happen you have to be the vanguard yep I'm not implying that the Vanguard Party act out of the people's role. I'm not implying a society superior to society. We must never forget that it is the people who change circumstances, and the educator himself needs educating. Again, this is why, like I said, with the, the, the Black Lives Matter protests, it was not you know necessarily the fault of the people. It's, if anything, the fault of Vanguard, but uh, you can even necessarily say it's the fault of the Vanguard. Sometimes it is just, you know... Um, uh, Timing. timing right and you have to you're raising consciousness and that's an important step towards revolution but the consciousness hasn't been fulfilled yet you need to keep raising consciousness yep. right um going among the people learning from the people and serving the people is really stating that we must find out exactly what the people need and organize around these needs again you can't just sit on high and say this old book from 19 you know 18 said that that it's all about class it's all about class so i don't need to fight against racism or some bullshit like that you know go to the people see what the people need and use this theory to guide you on what's lying behind it how to combat it and what you bring to the people as a plan exactly if the statement implies a coming from somewhere else, it substantiates no superiority, but rather a biological existential reality. This concept needs very little substantiating beyond the obvious fact of a nation of slaves who control no more wealth than some clothes, perhaps a worthless automobile, and a roof of sorts over their heads, but who have been successfully conditioned to feel rich or at least contented. The task of a revolutionary is to make revolution. The word manufacture can be substituted for the word make, and the meaning comes through a little better for us. These fascists have deliberately manufactured a false sense of security by various stratagems. They will never permit conditions to go out of their control as long as bread and circuses appease. We clearly cannot dodge our responsibilities by giving credence to slogans built around conditions. Conditions will never be altogether right for a broadly based revolutionary war unless the fascists are stricken by an uncharacteristic fit of total madness. Should we wait for something that is not likely to occur for decades? The conditions that are not present must be manufactured. 
Recall, we had people who felt conditions weren't right in the 1930s also. The government's bread lines were backed up around every corner, and the baseball was at its peak. Private ownership of public property could have been destroyed in that decade, but the conditions weren't right. The vanguard elements betrayed the people of this notion and the world as a result of their failure... Of this oh, nation. Sorry, of this nation and the world as a result of their failure to seize the time. The consequences were a catastrophic war and a new round of imperialist expansion, this time carried out by the greatest imperialist of all time, the Yankee Brigand. There would be... There would now be no Indochina situation, to mention one of dozens of like situations, if we had taken ourselves seriously then, when all conditions were favorable. It was a slightly below conscious desire to avoid doing the U.S. further violence, and perhaps a general distaste for organized violence, in particular, that robbed us of our chance to win on that occasion when, ironically, a win would have cost very little. There wasn't even the illusion of well-being." Yeah, that's that's a wild series for me. Those last two paragraphs in total, um, because that is a huge thing that we hear about. You know, well, we, we're we're organizing for the right conditions. Oh, we're waiting until the conditions are right. We're waiting for this or the other. Well, who determines when the conditions are right? We don't have a magic ball. We don't have a a machine that's going to turn on and say the conditions are right. And and Jackson points out it very well that it, the the system. Fascism in general, the the system we live under, does a very good job of keeping Mm -hmm. itself alive. It knows that it can't let situations get too dire. It knows there is an emergency ripcord, and they test it from time to time. You see it with recessions. You see it with all of these things um, that the system is willing to – it wants to know how far it can bleed people before there's any actual discontent that they would do anything. And 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 this is – yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we just saw 2008. Uh, we mm-hmm. see conditions now rising. You know, I mean, it, it, when we say revolution, there, there's, this is the contradiction, right? You don't plan like today is revolution day. So let's go. Ta-da. You know, and then after that day, it's look, we've done it. We've done revolution, right? It's, it's a decades long process beforehand. There's a power change that happens in the blink of an eye. Now that blink is comparatively, it could be a day. It could be months. It could be a couple of years, but it's a blink of an eye comparatively. And then there's the establishment and the building of what the revolution is for, right? And the building up of the new nation. That's all revolution. It's a huge process, okay? And that blink of an eye starts with a spark. And if you sit around and wait for the spark and wait for the spark and wait for the spark, it's never going to come because you haven't built anything flammable, (laughs) right? You have to build something flammable so that the spark actually sets something off. Yes. Um, and if people can't handle analogy, the, you know, you have to build conditions to where when there's another police killing or when there's, you know, another union busting or when there's another, you know, recession, right? Then all the things that should spark a revolution actually do instead of letting people mire in how could this happen in this country. Exactly. And we saw it. He, he said it. He said it very clearly. He pointed to the 30s. That was uh-huh. that was the that was if you if we have hindsight, which we do now, you can mm-hmm. see that that it had the country had two ways it could go. It could hit the break point and mm-hmm. everything if everything was organized correctly and, and, and the vanguard was pushing the way it was supposed to and we had the people on our side. Yeah. That's when the conditions are the worst they've ever been. This is when you should strike by all logic or. They could do the route they did, which is the New Deal, which, as we've talked about before, is nothing but a 
safety injection, a life, mm-hmm. a, a adrenaline shot to the heart of capitalism in this country. It had nothing to do with helping the people or social safety net. It was the only way that capitalism, it had to cut off a dying part of its body to save the rest of it. And then it just grew over it again and the system kept yeah. evolving. So I, there's been kind of the running gag now because people are, are, you know, into this weird thing that the socialism when the government does stuff. And so there's, you know, socialism that when the government does stuff, um, you know, kind of it, it's become memeified because it's so obvious. Uh, but that's not just a new observation after the expansions of these welfare states that happened in many places in the 20th century to preserve capital. Uh, that's something that goes back even Marx recognized. You know, nationalization is a necessary part of socializing the economy. But nationalizing something doesn't necessarily hand it to the workers in a capitalistic economy. It's done to preserve the capitalism. Right. Exactly. If if something's going under or just absolutely there for society, it gets nationalized so that, you know, the, the, just to prevent the revolution and so that all of the other private property um, profiting owners can continue on their game. And then you can see them rip all those back out. You're seeing it mm-hmm. in, I mean, the NHS yeah, is a, yeah, is a prominent it, example of this. You know, you you had yeah, that lifeblood injection and they've now gone, okay, how exactly how much of it can we rip off before it stops being the Band-Aid? How, yeah. how much of it can we reprivatize and re, re well, you know, take off? Yeah, well, you see the same thing now in, in conflict, right? Because it's moving both directions at the same time. It always ebbs and flows. In the same year that they're just and they're doing a, oh, we couldn't get the bill to go through. It's always something, right? Exactly. It's always, what, what was, what was the sudden new position they had in Congress like a year ago that no one had ever heard of and that like stopped oh, the Oh, the parliamentarian or, that showed the parliamentarian. up. The parliamentarian. was like, what the fuck is the parliamentarian, right? And there's always the parliamentarian. There's always just the, the mansion and cinemas stabbed us in the back of our party, but we got to go put the D on their ticket and, and count that as a win or, or whatever. You know, there's, there's always something. There's always just enough opposition. If it wasn't those two, like, again, I've said before, if the Dems, Dems won five more seats, there'd magically be five, you know, other people that were abstaining or going against stuff, I mean, look right? at when Obama had everything. Look at when Obama yeah. had House Senate. They had they had the majorities to do whatever they wanted. They chose yeah, not to. Yeah, and then he just, he just forwarded Bush's bank bailouts and, and like, actually processed them for Bush. And, and that's yeah. it, right? That, that's mm-hmm. all he did. Um and so that's what you see all the time. And now you're kind of seeing that. So like all of the, you know, COVID is, is raging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we know it. China just had a huge spike in breakout and it's still nothing comparative to what we're dealing with every day. They just yeah. raised the standards. And of course we're back, we're down from the huge winter spike we just had, but we're still up from outside of the huge winter spike in August of last year. We're up compared to the rest of last year. Right. And they just raise the standards and said it's all okay. Well, now they can't get their funding. And so like all the free testing and stuff's going away. But at the same time, they're adding a bill to where if you, it's from the language of it, it sounds like it's just on copays, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just on the insurance funding. So it sounds like, like it's not the actual cost of insulin. And if you're uninsured, you need this the most. You're still screwed, but they're capping specifically insulin. So it's like this little half measure. They're, spa- they're capping specifically insulin for people that have some kind of insurance or Medicare or whatever, which is a huge thing, right? Capping that $35 for people, it saves tons of lives. And a lot of people on insulin are on, of course, Medicare, but that's not saving everybody. That's not helping with the uninsured. That's not helping no. with other medicines. And at the same time, they're stripping out the COVID, the, the help they did give us for COVID, right? It's ebbing and flowing at the same time. That's how it does. And did it, you- It always does. Did you, And this is a little bit unrelated, but on the same, 
uh, when we're talking about insurance costs and capping them yeah. and all of that thing. Um, did you see the fantastic tweet from uh, one Mr. David Axelrod? Oh, <laughs> for people who don't know, by the way, David Axelrod was like. Uh, he kind of was the door-to-door salesman for not doing Medicare for all when the Democrats yes. had everything. Yes. That's, that's pretty well what he was, right? That was his job, was to make sure that Medicare for all was not the option. No, 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 yes. no, absolutely not. No, 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 no. And then blasts out a tweet um, that I will, that paraphrase, basically goes, I've been on this, condi- I've had a chronic condition, I've been on this prescription forever, and, and now they're saying it's not covered and I can't afford this. How do people deal with these kind of things? Right. I'm so, I'm indignant and outraged like before you even get to who he is he's rich i'm sorry he's rich yeah oh yeah no this doesn't matter for him (laughs) but holy shit of all the people just fucking christ david axelrod is that is that like uh grim reaper meme just going door to door just every door is fucking public access healthcare. Like, yeah. just, the man has no greater love in life than destroying people's access to medical care, and now he's crying it's, about it. It's like Donald Brumsfeld bitching about defense spending or something, right? It doesn't make <laughs> any fucking sense. <laughs> oh, it is It is something else, guys. Oh, yeah. uh, in a report written by Comrade Jonathan Jackson in November of 1969, just before Fred Hampton and Mark Clark's murders in Chicago and the shootout at Central Avenue Panther headquarters in Los Angeles, he says, and the, if, for those that don't know, because there is a note, so I'm going to read it before we get to the quote, uh, the Central uh, Avenue Panther headquarters shootout in Los Angeles uh, has a footnote of two Black Panther Party leaders killed during a raid by the Chicago police. Hampton was the chairman of the Illinois branch of the party. A special report prepared by the Commission of Inquiry headed by Ramsey Clark concluded that the purpose of the police raid was to search and destroy. It also concluded that Hampton had been deliberately killed by shots fired at close range while he was totally unconscious. The shootout on Central was the result of a police raid on the Los Angeles Panther headquarters. The Panthers battled the police for five hours, at times even throwing the police's own tear gas canister back at them so that all being said jonathan jackson says it's come down on us hard now there are 20 different breeds of pigs patrolling every street in the colony i do like i do like calling them different breeds for all these stupid like departments and you know there's the fbi and the cia and the ned Uh, people there's the the bia there's for for yeah for immigrants there's ice uh there's you know there's it's fucking there's county police there's city police there's fucking there's the texas rangers or whatever the shit you know i mean it's like <laughs> fuck <laughs> how uh, many of these guys are there oh my god tommy lee uh, jones has enough movie roles god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> i mean every section of the city that can be said to be predominantly black is saturated with the establishment's demented gunslingers of every sort They're all nervous and dangerous as King Cobras. Spies, double agents, entrapment, a war of electronics, house-to-house searches, doors being kicked in. I feel just as you do on these issues. I'm not just going for it, even if it means fighting them by myself. If they kick down the door of a house I've stopped stopped at, they'll fall in dead. The 9mm Brownings weigh something like 2 pounds. I'm not carrying this extra weight around on my belt for nothing. It has a 13-round clip. I keep one in the barrel, 14 shots. Save me a cell on Murderer's Row there. I could have 14 murder charges any day now. Try to get the picture down every through street they cruise, just a few moments apart at most. Sometimes the stupid bastards are bumper to bumper. Each one of the cruisers has a different residential street here, in the black communities that seems to belong to them. 
It's pattern. Let's say two pig cars, P1 and P2, are both traveling south on Central. They'll patrol six to seven blocks on the main street. P1 will then make a left on 50th Street. P2 a right on 51st Street. It works out so that every couple blocks is in an effect always surrounded, cut off, divided, subdivided. Repression is here. I followed them, studied them, hold a few of their cars. You should see how they'll run when they can't tell from exactly what quarter they're drawing fire. We overestimate them or perhaps have little sense of our own power. In the short run, and here I mean in an isolated tactical operation sitting within a particular political design with military weapons, we could easily outgun the establishment's first line of defense. What, for example, would the city pigs do if they are confronted by a 38 snubbed revolver in the hand of a brother who's fired that 38 perhaps 10 times in his life? Then take the same situation, but give the brother a flamethrower. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> well, um, we escalated uh, quite a bit there, Jonathan. Uh, parentheses stolen from the military this is a goddamn grand theft auto mission <laughs> give the brother an armored van from inside which he could use said flamethrower we're making a car from the twisted metal series of video games ladies oh, and gentlemen God. and I am here for it give him two comrades in arms one equipped with an M60 machine gun the other an anti-tank rocket launcher pigs are punks well against that yeah good lord I mean, they, they are in general. They're used to they're used to having like the whole backing of the state and and much better equipment at all times. It is it is very similar because it draws a lot of parallels to the situation in you uh, in Ukraine where you're seeing these, uh, these oh the ex, mercenaries go over and the mercenaries go over and they're like I'm not used to fighting when I don't have massive air superiority and such yeah. more advanced weaponry <laughs> and tactics that I uh, I can just raffle stomp my way through everything. I'm I'm confused. <laughs> Cops, same thing. Give them a flamethrower yeah. armed car with an M60 and a tank and a, a anti-tank launcher. They'll run. Yeah. I, I yeah. guarantee it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> their present show of strength. <laughs> their present show of strength is actually their weakness. Show. They're too visible. Comrades ask me sometimes, what can we do against all these pigs? I state it simply. We put them to death. They look at me as if to say, you're nuts, man. When I go about my explanation, their eyes go blank or they're distracted by something five blocks down the street. They're not hearing that. So what's happening? The things I say for us, smile, seem too fantastic for them to even listen. And it doesn't seem fantastic for them to go against the LAPD with a snub nose revolver. There's a great deal of work to be done with ourselves yet. But the day of the real dragon is coming. Long live the gorilla. Jonathan was 16 years old then, and he had just had year just that year been allowed to drive a car. He liked to drive and observe. He had long since learned to like the fight. Guns and weapons in general were his forte. I carefully reminded him that even vanguard violence was organized violence. He returned one of Fanon's lines. It's time for the talking to end and the acting to begin. I said, God damn it, Jonathan Jackson, much, much earlier in life took to this ideology and took to it well and every one of those blows just like every one of the gains um when you fight for power right that's why we're not accelerationists revolutions happen as people are gaining power and they throw it over the top because people have been suppressed for so long right the start of that gaining the power cycle maybe be the low point but usually gaining power into the revolution you're setting up systems you're, you're organizing um you know by the same token you're dealing blows to your enemies right um, so, so where is that useful for the revolution and what 
puts it in the category of, of, or, you know, how much of a plan does there need to be for it to be a revolutionary plan? How much organizing does there need to be? And that's something that if you're going to take up the task of being a Vanguard party, you need to have that discussion in the party. You need to figure out what that means. Um, especially if you're a party that is going to pick up the reins, right? Of, yeah. of, um, I don't mean just pick up the reins. There's so much more to the revolution, right? There's, there's building the politics. There's raising consciousness. There's supporting the people and, and, and mass mutual aid. And that's what you should do first. But at some point, there's, there's also clandestine operations, right? And there's community defenses and, you know, what is, what is your strategy of community defense? Where, where does that draw the line? What's in your strategy? What's out of it? That's all got to be in that discussion. Absolutely. Well, and we, we, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't Lenin have either a work on this or, or, or some very yes. clear line, especially after the death well, of his was, brother? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, that, that, that was just cited, uh, right there with guerrilla warfare by Lenin, right? Yeah. Exactly. That's, you know, and then, and then, of course, with what is to be done, there's very clear outlining of what a vanguard party is as well. Yeah. And I'm think I'm speaking more specifically too on, on the concept of terrorism. Of yeah. when do you use that tact? When is that tactic valuable? Yes. When is that tactic? And I, and Lennon does have writing on this. And I'm trying to remember exactly what work that's in. Um, but I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, this is definitely something that Lennon talks about, right? You know, yeah. it, it's very much an idea that Lennon has that adventurism is, is bad. It shouldn't be shunned. Right. It shouldn't be talked. It should be like, we condemn that. Right. Like you stand by the people. They did that for a reason. They're on your side. And they clearly thought it was worth their life for it. But as a strategy, you don't want to do that. You want to make sure everything is part of a revolutionary plan. Everything has an effect. You want to ensure all of your effects are bringing about revolution so much as you can. Right. Nothing's going to be perfect. Hey, hey, gang. Uh, a quick tip. Uh, if you want to get information about what lenin said about terrorism don't google lenin terrorism because i'll tell you what it's not a lot of useful information if you're a good marxist leninist it's a it's a whole lot of just nonsense garbage um yeah not not the best uh google search i've ever attempted in my life so i I don't know why you thought that was a record i get the man i was plowing along i was trying to do it while you were talking i was feeling the vibes and uh Mm, I got called out. I got I, the internet. The internet yeah. shamed me. Yeah, you should. Oh man, you should have my known FBI, better, Nathan. I'm just going to be playing. My FBI agent might have hope for me right now. He might think I'm turning a corner. <laughs> oh God, no, no, we're not turning a corner, but we are turning the page on this week's episode. Holy mm-hmm. cow, what a transition, Nathan! Ah, patting myself on the back for that one. Uh, <laughs> we are heading. Uh, we will be picking up next week on page 19. Uh, and for now, there are a number of different ways that you can reach out to us if you would like to, uh, one of which is through email. Our email address is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. If you would like to reach out to us on Twitter, our Twitter address is at marksmadnesspod. That's not what they call Twitter things, but you know, damn it, we're, we're, we're trying <laughs> here. Um, and if you would like a more day-to-day conversational uh, or just community place to vibe, hang out, uh, talk about these kind of things, as well as, you know, maybe bad tv shows that we want to watch or maybe final fantasy 14 because of course we talk about that because yeah um then you can join our discord server our discord server is uh the mark's madness pod discord It is linked in our twitter bio or you can email us for an invitation um 
it is just a great place. Great comrades, great, great community. Um, they have their own parallel running book club. So if you really just want to jam as much book club information into your brain as you possibly can, uh, you, you can run those in parallel. Um, they are, they are great and we are, are, it's a, it's a great place to be and I'm happy to be a part of it. Uh, that being said, David, it is time for a disclaimer. Absolutely. So obviously whatever we do this, um, you know, it's something that Nathan came to me one day and he was like, Hey, let's read capital. You've read it before. You read theory and history as groups. So let's do it. And that's true. You want to have these reading groups. Um, and so we decided to record it because it was just the two of us. And that was a pretty small group. And ever since then, um, we've had this vision that hopefully you're out there in your party and your organization and through your reading groups, through your political education groups, we could be another voice in there. If you're reading these along with us, uh, we can give you another source of context and other chance to review over stuff uh, and simmer on it another point of input to make sure you understand how this applies to you um let's say you know your group's not doing that they're working on something smaller more applicable to project they're on whatever it is and they're reading something else hopefully if you're reading this we can be that reading group we can give you the context the pause everything that a reading group gives you and let's say that's not what's happening let's say you're either listening to this as more of an enhanced ebook like with this book or listening to a book we summarize more um and we're just making sure however we can to get these works to you because we want these works out there guiding your actions every time these works uh of theory go into revolutionary action. It's a phenomenon called praxis. Praxis, of course, by definition, doesn't exist without theory, and theory is completely useless without praxis. They go hand in hand, they're tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.